I wrote a book once. Someone said that if you're going to write, then write about something you know. So I did. My novel, all 27 double-spaced chapters, is about spies and drug smugglers operating between Jamaica and North America. Not that I was ever a spy. It has been suggested that with my background and connections, I could have been an undercover operative or a spy. But I made my choice a long time before, to operate on the other side of the law. Both my expertise and my background were to provide the drug smuggling aspects of my novel. Cannabis smuggling, to be exact. Cannabis has been my love and my business for most of my life. I may not have been a spy, but I have rubbed shoulders with spies both down in Jamaica and over in Lebanon, around the time when Uncle Sam began butting his so-called isolationist nose into third-world politics, or politrix, as the Jamaican Rastas like to say. The Rastas like to shorten and rearrange words to change and confuse their meaning, like the expression white-white or white-bread that they use to describe a white person, or wahop which is short for what's happening. The most well-known island saying is soon come, which means that something is coming in Jamaican time, and that means very slowly. I spent a lot of time in Jamaica, and I cannot remember ever having any fears or concerns about living and dealing there. There were times when I was the only white man in a sea of black bodies pressing around me. In rock concerts, in nightclubs, on the streets of Montego Bay and Kingston during rush hour. When I went into the hills where the marijuana is grown, I was often the only white face to be seen for a dozen miles. I had no fear in Jamaica, because I felt like I was kin to my black brethren, who had joined with me to counter the downtrodding forces of Babylon. Babylon is the name the Rastas give to the constabulary, and soldiers whose duty it is to police the marijuana trade in Jamaica. During my smuggling years, Babylon seemed to be keeping a curious balance at play in its policing of drugs. The mountainous countryside around St. Anne's in the area known as Cockpit Country to the north of the island provided the cover necessary to grow the illicit marijuana crop. But there is no doubt the herb could easily have been eradicated with the use of helicopters and pesticides. In fact, the Jamaican government tried that once, just before the election of the great socialist prime minister Norman Manley, when the government that preceded Manley sent troops in by air to burn down the pot fields. The marijuana farmers quickly retaliated by lighting several mongooses on fire and setting them free to run through the sugarcane fields. The resulting fires quickly convinced the government of the day to end its marijuana eradication program before the entire island of Jamaica was ablaze. It was this rebellious spirit, mixed with a strong religious ethic, that gave me a sense of security in dealing with the Jamaican people. I've always been aware of a spiritual calm when I'm in Jamaica, as though the island is closer to God than it is anywhere else on earth. Even on my very first visit, I felt I belonged there, somehow. While I was very comfortable amongst the Jamaican people, I was nevertheless careful to keep close to my Jamaican partner, who showed me the ropes when traveling around the island, and especially when going into the hills. My partner, Righteous, was a tall and well-muscled man of lighter complexion than most Jamaicans. In the pecking order of Jamaican society, a lighter complexion is often associated with higher intelligence, and there was no doubt that this was true in the case of Randall Righteous Solomon. I first met Righteous through another Jamaican who I had met during my early forays to the island. 
That man was a caretaker named Sonny. Sonny was a friend of Solomon's, and he was also the gardener and houseman next door to a villa that I rented on the ocean near Hopewell. At that time, my friends and I were on a junket to bring some suitcases full of pressed weed back to Canada in an intricate scheme involving Canadian immigration clearance cards. Passengers returning to Canada in those days were first interviewed by Canadian immigration and then handed a 3x5-inch card and told to proceed to customs for baggage inspection. The 3x5 cards had several boxes with numbers beside them, one of which was labeled E-24. It was discovered that if E-24 was ticked off by the immigration officer, a passenger holding that card would be sent straight through customs without a baggage search.